I don't know. I must have scared everybody off last time I taught. I don't know. But um, it's way too quiet in here. All right. Um, Let me go ahead and uh, open us up in a word of prayer, and we'll go ahead and get started. Heavenly Father, we do come before you, Lord. We do, again, thank you for this wonderful day that you've provided to us to come and worship you, learn about you, learn about your church. Pray, Father, that you would um, help us to have eyes to see and ears to hear, um, that we would um, learn and understand um, as you would have us do. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. All right, today's uh, on uh, the Foundations course, and if anybody didn't get a copy, there's one back there on that music stand back there. But it's uh, the Doctrine of Church Government, Church Discipline. The, uh, um, basically, the three sources that I've used is Louis Burkhoff's Systematic Theology, um, mainly, and most importantly, the Book of Church Order, uh, which contains um, all of the information I'm here to talk about, and a lot more, if you ever want to know how um, Presbyterians think, do. I mean, because there's a lot of stuff that I'm not going to get down in the weeds about, for instance, if there is a trial or if there's different things um, that goes into that. How to ordain pastors, how to ordain uh, elders and deacons as they come on. The process that we're going through right now is in there on how to, as you already know, because we went through the training um, for elections of uh, a teaching elder, um, in this case, the associate pastor. Um, so, and then, of course, I used my Reformation Bible, um, which is always a true help. Um, so those are the three sources for what we're going to talk about today. And I think we have a little bit more freedom. So if there is some questions or something, you know, don't, please, you know, please be, uh, feel free to ask about them. My first question to everybody, which is all four of you, um, where does the authority come from for the church? Where does it come from? What is the ultimate authority for the church? And it's leaderships. Leadership. Yes. And I know it's on there, but it's important because, and I'm not here to beat up on the Catholic Church or anything of that nature, but they believe all authority comes from the Pope. It's a distinct difference between Presbyterianism and Catholicism. And <clears throat> quite frankly, one of the main reasons that the Reformation even happened, um, because Luther um, was adamant that it was not from man that our authorities come from. It's from Christ and Christ alone. So Christ is the head of the church and the source of all of its authority. <clears throat> and I've listed, you can see there, Matthew 28, 18, and all the other um, sources that go with that. Um, this is interesting. And when I got into Burkhoff's systematic theology, he talked about um, his, Christ in, in that essence of or reference to his body, and that's why I put this down here. He's leader of both visible and visible church. His physical body is the leader of the visible church. Um, and, that's, and again, then his spiritual body is the invisible church because he is both spirit and person. And so while we don't see him, and we're going to talk about this a little bit, he is here with us now. He is here. He is present um, because he is the head of the church. When we have a worship service, he is present. God is present. Um, he instituted the church. Um, that's the scriptures for the institution of the church. He instituted the means of grace, the word, the sacraments, all of that has flowed from Christ. He gave, us, uh, he gave to the church the constitution and its officers, um, and he gave them, and in, in Paul he talks about the keys of the church, 
And, and, and Christ says to his, his disciples, I've given you the keys to the church, so whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth, you loose in heaven. And so he's given um, this authority um, to the officers of the church. It's divine authority to act in his name. And again, he, as I already mentioned, he's ever present in the church when it meets for worship. All of these things are important. Christ exercises his authority by the means of his royal word. So, the Bible, the royal word, that's the basis for everything that we do. Um, Christ is king, uh, as king, excuse me, has endowed the church with power. So, Christ has power, that power is transferred to the church. Just like the king, who is, would be power over his kingdom, he gives that power to his administrators. We are the administrators of his church, which is here, is now, is here on, on earth. So the officers of the church um, are that. And we're going to talk about each of those here in a little bit. Um, the, uh, Christ provided for a specific exercise of this power by the representative organs. Now, when we're talking about organs, we're talking about individuals, deacons, elders. Elders are broken down into the teaching elders, which are the pastors, and the ruling elders, which are um, the session, for lack of better terminology. So those are your officers of the church. There is no other officers of the church. And today, today, presently, we're going to talk about that here in a minute. Um, the power of the church resides primarily in the governing body of the local church. The governing body of our church, this is the local church. So anytime you see local church, you can put in your mind our church. But the governing body is a session. That is our, our court, if you will. It's, it's referred to as a court. It's referred to as the governing body. But the ruling elders, uh, we're going to talk about that here in a minute. The ruling elders are the governing body of this particular church. Any questions on just kind of where the authorities come from and how that flows um, to the officers of this church? All right. So now we're going to talk about the officers of the church. And I went into a little bit of history. This comes out of uh, the first part of this is, is coming from the Lewis Burkhoff Systematic Theology. He goes really in the weeds, which is good. I mean, that's what that's for. That's why it's systematic theology. And, and talking about two types of officers. You have the extraordinary officers and the ordinary officers. So the extraordinary officers are those that came before us, in other words, the initial officers that Christ established. And you can see them right here. First is the apostles. And we're strictly speaking, um, uh, the name is applicable only to the 12 plus Paul. So the 12 that Christ identified, his 12 disciples. Um, there is no, uh, you know, there's no other apostles you know, we're not called apostles. We're not apostles. The only apostles are the 12 and Paul. And then uh, Christ, or excuse me, um, prophets, as we know, we had the larger, you know, greater prophets and the, and the smaller prophets in the Old Testament, but the gift of speaking and the, for the edification of the church, revealing mysteries that may be or may not be going on, and predictions of the future. And then evangelists, and we give an exam, he gave an example here of Timothy and Titus, when they went out, were working, planting churches with Paul. Um, in Acts, you, you know, you'll see a lot of that. Um, special missions to preach, baptize, um, ordain elders. Because again, as Paul established churches in different places, and Titus and Timothy helped them, they made elders at the, each one of those churches, because he wasn't staying there. He was moving on to the next place that he was going to go to. So those elders were left to maintain order and all the things, take care of any issues within the church until um, he came back through or was able to send one of his um, 
associates, in this case, um, this example here of Timothy and Titus, um, and then also to exercise discipline. You can look at all of the, the Gospels, you know, 1st, 2nd Corinthians, you can look at Ephesians. Those letters that Paul has written are letters, letters of, some of them you know, are building up, but it's also admonitions to those churches because they were doing something that they were not supposed to be doing. Um, they weren't following what their original teachings were, so he was correcting them. And um, so Paul would send these letters with his different, sometimes he would take them himself. So that's what we mean by evangelist. And again, that's ancient history, if you will. Then we have the ordinary officers. And so the first thing we're going to talk about is ruling elders. They're overseers to provide um, for the congregation, govern, protect uh, the household of God. Our household of God, this church belongs to God. It doesn't belong to me or anybody else. It doesn't belong to the pastors. It's the church. It's God's church. It's God's people. And so we were ordained to do these things for, for God. Um, so he is the ultimate power and authority. So those are the ruling elders. Teaching elders, that's the pastors, associate pastors, and uh, senior pastors, all of that, uh, administer the word and the sacraments in conjunction with the ruling elders, uh, make necessary regulations for the government of the church. So um, when the session meets, and I, I'm going to talk about this a little bit later, but I'm going to say it now. It won't hurt to repeat it. Uh, the session is made up of the ruling elders. Um, the pastor is only the convener of the session. He cannot vote in the session. He does not vote in the session. So anything, decisions that are made, the elders vote on it, and he convenes it, and we have a clerk who is Walter, and he writes down all the votes, because all that has to be sent to Presbytery for all of our meetings. We meet once a month, and we discuss everything that pertains to the church in a uh, ministerial sense. Um, so, and the convening officer is the, is the teaching elder. So that's important to understand. The teaching elders do not belong to this church. They belong to the presbytery. There's a lot of different reasons for that. Um, one is the presbytery has committees and stuff that you know, can minister to the pastors. They have the pastor ministerial committee, for instance, who they, for every pastor that's in our presbytery, um, they have oversight on them, which they counsel them. They can, the pastor can go to them for counsel if you know, there's something's going on or something good, something bad, whatever. It has somebody he can go to that is not, um, uh, I'm trying to think of the right word, but it's not, it wouldn't be like going to somebody here in this church that might have you know, some kind of schism against him or something like that. You know? It gives him a free zone to go to and discuss matters, and they they can, especially if it's a younger um, pastor, they absolutely, a young pastor needs to have counsel, wise counsel from higher up to help him navigate, you know, his first pastorate, things of that nature. And so that's kind of what these, you know, that's why, he, that's why the pastors belong to the, the presbytery. You know, there's a lot of different reasons. To protect the pastor, it's to help the pastor, um, it's to give him a higher authority that he can go to and get guidance from and things of that nature. Um, I think it's a very good layout. But he does not, they do not belong to this church. The, um, same with uh, chaplains and things like that. They can't join our church because if they're on active duty, chaplains belong to the army. They're um, just like a presbytery. They belong to that. So that's how that works. <coughs> um, and again, 
uh, he, you know, the, the teaching elder, he's the one that does the communion. So that's why you always see Pastor Mark in the past. You know, you don't see the elder coming up here and doing communion. That's not designed for us to do. That's for the teaching elder to do. And baptism as well. Um, so, all right, the deacons then. Um, and again, um, you can look at Acts 6, 1 through 6. That's where... Um, and I'm not going to get into, there's a lot of debate, not a lot. There's some people want to debate that that's not where the deacons were formed from. But Acts uh, 6, chapter 6, verses 1 through 6, um, that's where the deacons were formed. And their design was to distribute property and gifts to the needy. If you remember the early church back then, there was no churches. They were meeting in people's houses. If you go to Acts and you read um, the early church, people sold their land, they sold their goods. And they gave that money in turn to people that needed it within the church. And we do the same thing today through benevolence and through the monies that are gifted from the congregation. The deacons then, if someone is in need within the congregation, um, they identify the need, talk about it, make the decision, and then provide those gifts or things that need to be done. It could be a physical need. You know, they just go and cut somebody's grass, stuff like that. Um, so they distribute property and gifts to the needy. <clears throat> they provide for physical requirements of the congregation, provide for the physical requirements of the church. You can see the results of that. Our driveway is getting done. We've got the bathrooms and the kitchen redone, carpeting outside there. Um, those are all the physical needs of the church and its properties. Managing the finances of the church. Right now they're starting to work on the budget for next year. So they manage the, the, the finances, oversee the treasurer, um, Again, all of this is done under the supervision of the session. The deacons do fall under the session. They are answerable to the session. Um, so overarching, the government of this church, you have, and just like any other Presbyterian church, you have the session, but in anything, everything else falls under the session's purview. Um, but the, the deacons, the real difference is the deacons look at the physical needs of the congregation and the church where the elders are looking at the um, spiritual needs of the church the congregation. Um, and again, provide for the benevolence. And I've put the, uh, um, the references there for that. Any, any questions on that basic? That's just, we're going to go in a little bit more depth here in a little bit. That's just kind of the basic, basic delineations of, of work, if you will, within the church. Does that make sense? Okay. All right, the governing bodies of the church. Now, we're talking about governing bodies. <coughs> there are three. You have the local body, which is the session. We already talked about that. The next higher uh, body is the Presbytery. And the next highest, the highest authority for the Presbyterian Church is the General Assembly. And we're going to talk about these in turn. <clears throat> All right. Session of the local church. This is the teaching and ruling elders. Um, they call it also a consistatory, but it's the local church, uh, low level, um, the lowest level, if you will. Um, for governance within the church. Every church is a complete church of Christ. That's, these, are, these premises come out of um, the systematic theology. So in other words, and you're going to see why here in a minute, why they're saying this, but every church is complete uh, church of Christ. In other words, they have everything. If you have become particularized, in other words, you started, let's say you started off as a church plant, and you, you, know, you didn't have, you're just building up. But once you finally get to the point where you can particularize, which means, okay, I now have a pastor we have elders, we have deacons, and we have people, and um, we can become a particular church. That's the language for it. Um, 
you will have everything you need in Christ. Everything is there. And so um, that's important because the complete church is what um, is required to have a church. If that's, I know that might sound a little weird, but that's really the, those things you're in. Um, and the next three points, I hope we'll make this clear while we're saying that. No union with other churches. Um, you, we could have no union with other churches that destroys the autonomy of the local church is permissible. In other words, if, if we somehow were trying to make a, a, an association with another church, that our autonomy would be, be fettered. You know, we, because within the Presbyterian government system, we are autonomous. Our churches are autonomous. Even the General Assembly can't lord over us. You're going to see that here. They can't come down here and say, you're going to do this, you're going to do that, this is how you're going to do it. And that really is the reason, goes back to the Pope and the Catholic Church, um, because what the Pope said, they could come to any church anywhere and dictate. They could shut that church down. They could make the leaders go away. Um, They're all things they could do. And, and, and in the Reformation and in the Reformed faith, no, it's not. So the local church has to remain autonomous, even within the government system of uh, the Presbytery, Presbyterianism. Um, so no unions with any other churches that would cause us, and that wouldn't happen. I mean, I, we're a denomination, um, PCA. I would just tell you, your leaders, the elders wouldn't put, do that. There's no reason to do that. Um, higher assemblies, the Presbyterian General, General Assembly, are not unlimited in power, and that's what I was just getting at. They cannot lord over the local church. Um, the autonomy of the local church is limited by the Book of Church Order and the Constitution of the PCA. So, as being a member of the PCA, we don't get to be nilly-willy either, okay? Because we've, we've agreed to, the leadership of the church has, you know, agreed to, and we um, affirm the book, because this book right here, the Book of Church Order, has our Constitution, has all the laws, regulations, if you will, procedural matters that will cover anything that this church would ever have to do. So we have agreed to this. We have bought into this. That's why we're a church in a PCA. Just like if you were a church PCUSA, you would have a book of church order, you would have those things. So we are bound to follow those rules. Um, we, we accept that they have been thought through uh, based on Scripture, and it is the right and honorable, peaceable, correct thing to do. That's why we follow the book of church order. So it does not trump the Bible, though. Did you have a question? I said that, yeah. I did. Defend me. Go ahead. No, it's fine, it's fine. Go ahead. Yes. And we're going to get into that. Yeah. Yes. It absolutely does. And, and, and in this, we have a p- specific case of that, and we're, I'm going to use it as an example. When we get, we're coming to it. That's a good point, because you're absolutely right. You know, because when, when we get down here and talk to about the General Assembly, that's where they can, um, their job is to prevent schisms, 
and heresies within the church. And so that's where that all comes down from to correct of, you know, through the presbytery. The presbytery may even go up to the um, general assembly and say, hey, you know, this is this pastor such and such is doing wrong and he needs to be admonished. Generally, it should come from the session. The session is the primary people um, responsible to make sure that the teaching elder is teaching properly. Um, the, the teaching elder just doesn't get to be able to go up here now that he's been ordained and he's the pastor, does not get to go up to the, 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 this pulpit, God's pulpit. It's not his pulpit, it's God's pulpit, and just speak whatever. He doesn't get that right. Nobody does. The session's responsibility, that's why we're supposed to, when we, the session is the one that calls, we're going to get down there in some more detail. You're getting, you got me ahead of myself. Anyway, it's good. Um, but the session calls the worship services, when they are, how they are, what's going to be in the worship service, all that comes from the session, the, the ruling elders. Now, it's up to, in our case, Michael, to preach the, um, the word, okay, according to the scriptures. And he does that, I mean, you know. And so, uh, but let's say he didn't. It would be for the session then to pull him aside and say, hey, that ain't right. Or why did you say this? Or so I will tell you when I'm sitting in here listening, not only am I listening the word of God, I am listening to see if something was said that ought not to be said. Um, there have been pastors um, who taken swipes through very, uh, not directly, but, but at people within the congregation. You know, just a very slight brush by that has done. That has been happened. That has happened. And it, it, the session has to listen for that, and they've got to pull people aside. I'm not saying that happened here, okay, but it does happen. And you have to sit down with those pastors. And if there's not any kind of recourse, guess what? The session then can go to the pastor's um, committee that oversees him and say, hey, listen, he's not, you know, he's kind of rogue here. And I know, I know of instances where pastors had to be removed in the PCA because of their actions up here. Um, so, and, so it's something that's very important. It's very critical. The preaching of the Word is paramount um, to correctness. Now, hey, you got pastors that can preach with, they're great orators or something. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about heresies, you know, speaking out wrongly from what um, the Bible would say. So we have to watch that. So... Um, there is that, that body. We are a court. The Presbytery is a court, and General Assembly is a court. Um, it's, it's just another name for them. We always call them by those original names, but they are courts in essence. Um, but we're going to talk about that, and we get down here. Um, let's see here. Where I go. But it was a good, good point. It's a very good point. Um, I talked about that. Okay. Um, again, the, the session is chaired by the teaching elders. Um, the pastor's member is with the presbytery, so they do not vote on session matters. Um, and we already talked about that. Um, the session itself um, oversees the spiritual requirements of the church, authorities, the teaching within the church. So in other words, there is nothing, absolutely nothing that should be taught. Sunday school, women's Bible study, uh, men's Bible study, nothing the session shouldn't have not looked at and approved of. That's our job. That's nobody else's job in this church. It is our job. The women of the church don't get to pick whatever they want to watch or listen. Um, we have to look at it, review it for correctness and soundness, and um, it's within the PCA what we would say is reasonable 
and expectant uh, to be taught in our... That's why the teachers all have to sign, all the Sunday school teachers have to sign a statement of faith and those kinds of things to be able to teach here at this church. Yes? Well, it, it gets discussed. Those matters need to be discussed by the session. Um, I'm not saying we're perfect in everything because we're not. Um, the session, some things get by us. Um, I'm sorry? Yes, it does. And any elder can bring up an agenda, and he can bring up an agenda item even during the meeting um, of the session meeting. And that's another good point at the session. Anybody can come to the session meeting. Any, any congregant can come to the session meeting anytime they want to, and just sit. you have to sit there. You can't, you don't get to vote, obviously, you do anything. Now, if we get into a dicey matter where we have to have a closed session, then you would have to leave the room. For instance, if there was somebody under discipline, and we had to discuss where we were at with that, um, you would have to leave the room. You couldn't be there part of that discussion, obviously. That's, that's being, um, you know, we have to have great, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Discernment. Discernment and, you know, when we're dealing with touchy matters such as that. Go ahead. I, honestly, I don't know the answer. I don't think so. I don't know. It'd be nice. That would be, it would be polite to let everyone know, hey, I would like to come to the session meeting and sit on just, I mean, it's just a, a politeness, I would think, you know, I don't think it's a requirement, but just so everybody knows, I mean, no big deal to me. Go ahead. Well, I'm fairly new elder, but um, I think there has been, yes. And we have, we also have, um, sometimes we have points of order where we bring specific people in to talk about specific subjects um, at different times. And we have a set time, so we have it on the agenda, you know, like it'll be like a seven. We try to get those things done early. You know, we're here to midnight sometimes. Um, but we, we try to get those people done first and then get them out so they can be home, and then we go to about the rest of the business that we have. But um, I, I just don't know the answer to that question. Um, but like I said, um, I'm not sure many people think about it, quite frankly. I don't think, I'll tell you, and I hate it that there's only four people here, and half of it's my family. But anyway, um, the people at church, I don't think they realize that. <clears throat> and I don't think they understand, we ought to do this class, I think, for everybody. But anybody. <laughs> anyway, it, um, I just don't think a lot of people know the in, in and outs of these things, um, which is not a bad thing. It's just, you know, everybody's busy. You know, what, what are you going to do? But you, are, can, you can go. You can attend. You can see what's going on. Um, we um, authorize missions of the church, so there's no missions outside the church that the session doesn't approve. I'm, I'm now the missions um, chairman, and... Um, you know, like, we're, you know, all the things that we're working up right now, um, we have a mission statement and a, a whole packet that's for what the mission does and doesn't do and all that kind of stuff. And the sessions will hopefully approve it here in the coming meeting. We, we redid that. and So they're in charge of missions. Praying for the church, our requirement, we do pray for the church in our meetings every week. Um, we go through the elders talking about their um, people they're overseeing, if there's an issue or something. All the elders will pray for those people within the church. Um, discipline of the church. Um, we are the ones that dole out discipline in this church if it needs to be done. 
We're going to talk about that at the end. Our goal, the, all of the leadership's goal, all of the elders, the deacons, and the pastors, um, are to seek the peace and purity of the church. That is our number one goal. That is not to say that we are putting things under the carpet and walking away and not looking at it. We have to address, if there is an issue within the church, it has to be addressed because it does nothing but fester and get worse. If someone, if, if a couple congregants got crosshairs of one another, and obviously Matthew 18 is what we want them to do, work it out one-on-one. If they can't, then the offended person should come to the session or his elder or her elder and then identify that, then we can um, then assign some elders to that case and try to uh, re, you know, get the, that relationship back where it needs to be. Um, that's kind of how that works. And if for some reason the offended party feels that the session was not fair, they can appeal to the presbytery. If someone is offended, let's just say the pastor got somebody mad or something in here, and they, they did not feel that it was adjudicated properly, the offended person who felt they were offended, if in good order and proper you know, procedural matters, they could go to the presbytery and you know, ask for an appeal and let the protest, and the presbytery then would take, up, take it up. If they so desired, they, have to, they would look at the circumstances and then they would vote and decide. Um, and then they would probably make a committee and then they would look at it. Um, but everybody, you know, that's another, I don't think people know that. They have recourse. If they feel, if somebody feels they have been misjust, have been unjustly treated, they have the chance to go to the next higher court. And you can go all the way to the General Assembly if necessary, if it's that grievous of a uh, offense. And we don't have any of that. I'm just throwing that out there just as examples. Um, okay, we oversee the diaconate. Um, we call for church assemblies. Every church assembly that we have, the congregational meetings, worship services, all of that is called by the session, the ruling elders. Um, we approve the order of worship, how we worship. You know, what, you, what we worship and how we worship, that, that order of worship, that liturgy that we follow was approved by our, you know, the original session way back when the church was first found. And we, and we keep going at it now because it's, it's, it's a good example. Um, and I already mentioned this, assuring that preaching of the Word is accurate and true to the Scriptures. Um, we serve on higher committees in the Presbytery and General Assembly, the Administrations Committee, um, Walter is part of that, Missions, Pastor Care, Johnny is on the Pastor's Care Committee um, in Presbytery, which is extra work. I mean, these guys are doing, you know, above and beyond their own, they're called here, they're doing these things there. Uh, Steve Bennett was on the uh, Overtures Committee for the General Assembly, so he did a lot of extra work um, by being on that committee because all the Overtures, I think there was close to 35 or 40 of them anyway, they look at every one of the Overtures before they come to the floor um, to make sure they're worded properly and all those different things before they come to the floor of the General Assembly to be voted upon. So that's a big, big, big job. And then we have to maintain records of our proceedings. We all have to do that. The deacons have to do that. And these get sent to presbytery for records, for their, and they, they maintain those records. So that's the session. The session um, the, uh, is here. This is what we, you know, they are in charge of everything. Nothing, absolutely nothing should happen in this church that the session has approved of or ordained that it should happen. And we, there's other people that are in charge of it. You have President Wick, you have different people reading men's Bible study. You have all of those different people. You have the Christian Education Committee who oversees the teachers and the curriculum for the Sunday school. You know, these authorities have been given to them by the session. And so 
because we felt that they're like, you know, they're able to do those jobs. Like Coring, I'm looking back there, she's running the, the nursery, the kids and stuff like that, you know, taking care of um, our, our policy for child protection policy and ex extending that out to the families and make sure everybody's safe. Um, all right, so that, they had DAC in it. They minister to those in need, prisoners, widows, orphans, sick. Um, they care for the property of the church. They devise methods of collecting gifts from the people and distributing. So our devised method is the offertory. Um, in our worship service, we have chosen, decided, that's how we want to do that. Um, there's a lot of different ways of doing it, but that's how we have decided, which is generally what everyone else does. Um, develop. This is a big one for the deacons. Um, develop the liberality of grace in the members of the church. The liberality. In other words, it is not only, in this case, um, the deacons, they have, they, we should be elevating the congregation. We should, the, the lady, the, one of the main things that the deacons can do is to get other people, the lady, congregational members, involved in their ministries, the physical you know, cleaning of the church, the you know, outsides. You know, that's why they do um, church cleanups in the fall and the spring. They usually do them. Um, but that liberality of grace, it can be, they can do that. They, that's something that they can do. It's, it's not necessarily a grace of the, the ministries of the church, but it's a physical requirement of you know, giving, you know, helping other people, you know, using your talents to do something for the church, the, the deacons can build this, um, this desire within the congregation. Um, maintain records for their meetings and proceedings. Uh, oversee the treasurer and her duties, or their duties. Uh, meet jointly with a session as necessary. Normally, we minimally have to meet it quarterly, we, but a lot of times we'll meet, if there's something mainly going on, like the budget, We'll meet jointly at the beginning of each session meeting monthly. The session meets monthly. Um, and when there's a lot of stuff going on, we'll meet more regularly. But while we'll the joint um, matters up front and then move on to, and, and the, de the deacons will split out and go to their room and have their meeting. All right, so those are, that's the local bodies, the deacons and the, um, and the, and the elders. So in the next level, the next entity is presbytery. Presbytery is a grouping of geographically aligned local churches. So in our presbytery, you know, they have made these geographical boundaries, and the churches within them go to the different presbyteries. Uh, they're attended by the teaching and ruling elders. Uh, in our case, we're allowed our, our ruling elders go, or excuse me, two. We're allowed two ruling elders because it's based on, and I didn't go into it, but it's in the book of church order. It's based on um, the bottom line is 350, you have a congregation of 350 people or less, you can have two elders let's go to, which can vote, which we vote on presbytery matters, and then the, uh, the teaching elders go. And um, as I mentioned before, um, our, elder, or our teaching elders are members of presbytery. Um, so we go, we attend those, those are meet, it's a, on a quarterly basis, and then we, the care, what the presbytery is responsible for is care of the ecclesiastical matters of the church. It looks after the doctrine, it looks after the morals, it looks after church government and discipline, um, and again, its ultimate goal is preservation of unity and good order in the church of Jesus Christ. Um, it's the next higher court from the session. Again, it may, none of us, oh, by the way, this is a good point here, it's, I had it underneath them, but no leadership can bind 
anybody's conscience to one thing or another. What do I mean by binding the conscience? We're bound by conscience by the word. You know, Christ, you know, the Trinity, those things our conscience are bound to. But we can't bind your conscience to something that's unbiblical. For instance, all the women have to wear long dresses down to their ankles. We can't stand up here and say that you're wrong if you don't do that. Or you can't drink. Okay? Um, that's, that's binding someone's culture, uh, conscience to something that is not, um, is not in line with the Scriptures. Um, so there's just a couple examples of that. Um, so Presbyterians the same way. They cannot bind the conscience of the people. They have the power to establish rules of government, discipline, worship, and extension of the church based on the Holy Scriptures. In other words, when we say extension, the expanding of the church. Um, requires obedience to the laws of Christ, as I already mentioned. All of us are under the laws of Christ, which are the Scriptures. Has the power to receive and issue appeals. We already talked about this. Complaints and references brought before it in an orderly manner. That's in section 13.9 of Book of Church Order. And it meets once a quarter and keeps records of the meeting, procedures, and actions. The, uh, the Presbytery, you know, we kind of already talked about that, they, they are an appeals court, for lack of a better part of, you know, that, could, that would be a, a, a good, you know, another name for them. If something happened in a local church um, that was, you know, and they can, if they see something that was not adjudicated properly by the session, the Presbytery should step in and make it right. If they see something that's a schism, something that's heretical that's going on in a particular church, um, they should step in if they see that. Now, again, they may not see that. It's really the first line of defense is the session. But if it's not adjudicated, the session bungles it for whatever reason. The presbytery can then take it over. The congregation can go to the presbytery and they can say, "This is, you know, our session is not handling this properly." I really don't think that would ever happen here, but you know, I'm just saying it could happen. And you can put that appeal to the presbytery, um, and then the presbytery will pick it up. And, you know, they would start an investigation. Um, so it's very important to, you know, it's important to know that. I mean, let's, let's pray that it never happens, obviously. But it, this is the governing of the church. It's the people, you know, the people are not to be treated like, you know, some kind of minions less than. We're all sinners, every one of us. Michael will tell you the same thing. We're all sinners, and we're all likely to get crosshairs with one another that's why Matthew 18 lays that all out for us, how to, you know, seek the peace and purity of the church. And we are to live at peace with everyone as best we can. So it's important, but if something doesn't go right, we need to understand what we can do. What is our, what is, what is our pathway to righteousness? Because if righteous things aren't happening in the church, and it's the session's fault, the congregation needs to... They may not think that they're anything... But the lady needs to stand up and make things right with, with Christ. So it, it falls down to y'all, kind of like the water rolls downhill. Um, it doesn't happen that often, but I'm going to cite a couple cases here in a minute where it did happen, and it is happening actually within the PCA today, one, one instance. Um, and I'll talk about that after the, the General Assembly. So that's the Presbytery. General Assembly meets once a year, um, has a jurisdiction over such matters, that concern the whole church. Um, what we're talking about here is schisms, um, heresies that uh, um, come up in the church. This is where the General Assembly um, really is focused on. The governor of the PCA Constitution within the Book of Church Order. 
Um, they're the overseers of the book of church order. Um, you'll see, and if you were looking at any of the overtures from this last year's, there is, and every year it's this way, um, there's words wanted to be changed in the book of church order, but it has to go from the General Assembly, has to be voted upon, has to be approved. Once those overtures have been approved at General Assembly, then they've got to go back out and all the presbyteries have to approve them. So it's a kind of a double-natured, but it's a good methodology to make sure that it's getting widest dissemination, any changes that we might do to the congregation. Yes, or not congregation, but PCA. Anybody can go to General Assembly. You have to pay for it, but I mean, anybody can go. You can't vote and all that, and if they have closed session, same, same rules as Presbytery. They go into closed session, which they will. You won't be allowed to be part of that. But you can go. Any, matter of fact, you know, um, well, anybody can go anytime you want to. Um, yeah, but again, it's that closed session. Okay. Yeah, it's streamed. There's, you know, I know Michael and those guys put out here. You can follow this on, you know, it's if you want to watch it from afar. Um, all of this for the General Assembly is captured in Chapter 14, the Book of Church Order. Um, their job is to carry out the Great Commission. Um, that's why, you know, General Assembly is the overarching. These major muscle movers. Um, missions, you know, missions to the world, all that from the PCA. General Assembly has the power to receive and issue all appeals, references, and complaints from lower courts, session and presbytery. I already mentioned that. Must have conformity with the Constitution. Um, They review the records of the presbyteries. They promote posterity and enlargement of the church. In other words, expansion of the church, church plants, those kinds of things. Um, Erect new presbyteries when there's new churches as we expand. Uh, appoint pastors. They're the ones that, you know, once we um, bring a pastor here, whoever this associate pastor is going to be, um, and he meets through our widgets, and he preaches, and the congregation votes and says, yes, we want this man. This is, we want to do a, a, him, call him. That's just the beginning. He has to go to Presbytery and go through all of their um, examinations, which are in great detail, much greater probably than, you know, theologically speaking, than we will put them through. Um, and if for some reason Presbytery doesn't accept this guy, then we're back to the drawing board, you know, as a as a search committee. So, um, so they have they're the ones that have the final authority on hiring and firing, um, because the pastors belong to them. Um, they belong to that group. Um, suppress schismatical contentions, and this is where I'm going to talk about. And I'm going to tell the other two first, and we'll come back to that. But superintend the affairs, superintend, so that supervision of the church overall, and then they promote charity, truth, and holiness through the churches. They have to promote that from the highest level down to the lowest level. The real thing that they're focused on is schisms within the church. One schism that's going on right now, it's a heresy, is Greg Johnson out in out of Missouri Presbytery that allowed him, the Presbytery has bungled it. They have not done, there's, there's two overtures that passed the General Assembly, which just last, they, we just had our Presbytery, yeah, we had our Presbytery meeting, it passed General Assembly, excuse me, Presbytery just met on the 27th, and these two overtures were overwhelmingly accepted to renounce this, actually put harder language in the Booker Church order for what a pastor is, so he can't say, I just, that, you know, I'm, 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 I'm not, I can affiliate with my homosexuality, but I'm not going to participate in that. We've changed the language, we're working on changing the language. Because um, all the presbyteries have to approve this now, which is looking pretty good. 
and then it goes back to the General Assembly next year for final approval. And most likely what will happen is they're going to put a, a court together to deal with Greg Johnson. But he's, he's a PCA pastor. He came through his presbytery, did not mention any fact of the matter back in the day when he became, when he came in there, that he was gay or had tendencies toward homosexuality. And now he comes out full-blown that he is. And he's written books to the effect of saying that you can be a Christian and associated, I can be a homosexual as long as I do not participate in homosexual activities. So in other words, he's identifying with his sin, not Christ, because Christ changes us. So this is a schism. This is a heresy in the church. No sin. You can put whatever sin. Well, you know, it happens to be homosexuality here. You can put, you know, murder, stealing, whatever else. Well, I'm a stealer, but I really don't. I'm not practicing right now. No. Okay. I mean, that's, you literally, you can't do that. It's, you know, if you are in Christ, you are a changed being. You have been changed. So, go ahead. Yeah. What? You can't be, you know, the, the well, this should be ferreted out when you, by the session when they're bringing elders on and these are questions we ask and, you know, we're not going to bring somebody on as an elder that we haven't been observing for a long time and they're not already doing the things that they ought to be doing. And that's the same thing when we say that when, we, when you put forth someone as for a deacon or an elder. It really that comes from the congregation. But it's really for pastors. The, the language is being changed in the Booker Church. And using R.C. Sproul's, you know, why are we even discussing this? It, it is so clear that this is wrong. And, 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 it, and I will tell you personally, it boggles my mind how any session could allow this guy to do what he's doing, has done, all the things that he's doing within his church, having gay pride, you know, get-togethers, coffees at his church, Again, I'm not against, you know, I mean, we, they need to be witnessed to, but that's not the essence. He's telling them, he's telling lost souls that they can still associate with their homosexual background and make it to heaven. And that's the biggest lie I've ever heard going. Um, the Bible does not teach that. And so he's teaching lost people to be lost. And that's not at all in any manner. Search. That's, that's, that's heresy. So... Anyway, we're trying to make the language harder for them to squiggle through. Um, but, you know, why? And my, my question to myself is, is why would we even have a... Because this has been debated, thousands of years has been debated, and clearly, clearly aligned that this is not correct. Um, you were going to ask a question. The session's going to have to be, probably they're going to receive, and we're going to talk about discipline here in a minute. They're going to get remunerated. They're going to get something. There may even be elders removed. Who knows? Um, My guess, just my guess, that when they get to the point where they can finally remove Greg Johnson, those elders are going to leave. That church will be split. It will split. Because he's, Greg Johnson, who's a great orator, has got half these people believing that it's okay. And he's leading the congregation astray. 
And so probably what will happen, it'll be the destruction of that church to what it is now. It may be a remnant, probably will be a remnant, because God's, it's God's church, it's not man's church. But there will be fissures, there will be breaks. And it's, I don't know how it's all going to go when it happens, but it needs to happen sooner than later. I'll bring up another one. This happened back, I believe it's 2007, um, on Federal Vision. Um, Doug Wilson, who is not part of the PCA, but he has a church out in, uh, what's the name of it? Iowa. But he calls himself, you know, Presbyterian. But his church is just one church. It's just one church. Doug Wilson made this church. It's his family that runs it. It's a family-run business. That's what it is. He has his own... um, the only reason his books get published because he has his own publishing company that he owns, he runs, his presbytery. He set up his own presbytery. So whatever he says goes. If you do not align with what he says, you get fired. His daughter writes books. His, his father and mother and brothers, they're all running the church. But they, and and he, so what he is, what, what's the issue with him? Well, he's the issue of his face. He is the face in what his church pronounces for federal vision which our General Assembly, I think it was in 2007, took up the matter and called it a heresy and denied it and said it is not what it, you know, mentioning, you know, Greg or Doug Wilson um, and all of his minions that follow or think of that line, you know, that is not anything that's biblical. Um, And so there's a lot of problems with that church. You know, they have, you know, he believes in double election. He believes that um, children at the age that they can start suckling, they should be allowed to have communion. So pay to communion um, before that child has any idea what planet it's on. Um, thing is on and on and on. It's, it, is a, it is a church, and it's a large church. He has misled many, many people. There's people that you know, want to quote him, and I don't understand it. I mean, it is absolutely a terrible schism, and he is... He, he, he should not be followed. He, he shouldn't get the light of day. Uh, we got too many more great theologians. Sproul, Spurgeon. I, you know, the list is long as my arm, but I can't even name them all. we got so many more great quotable men um, to focus on. And Federal Vision is not something, and, 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 and it's not part of the PCA. It will never be part of the PCA. It's not part of this church. The elders have all come online and said, it is not going to be part of this church. This is going back to 2007. But so it's important to understand these things. What? Well, he spoke at the General Assembly when they voted against it as well and, and denounced it. You can go to the two, I think it's 2007, I can't remember. Go to the General Assembly notes, and you will see the whole transcript. You will see his, you can, I think it's online, you can hear him speak. You can hear R.C. Sproul speak, and you can hear the other people speak. J.I. Packer, the rest of them. It's a heresy, we, and so we should stay away from him, his books, anything else that he's trying to peddle. But anyway, that's just two, two examples, that, and that's what the elders have got to watch over the flock for, because, you know, especially with Federal Vision, you know, they, it, it, there's a lot of right in there, what they say, okay, there's a lot of right, but there's a small, it's just a nuance, and then it's, it's, it becomes, and that religion is, because it is a different religion than what we're talking, you know, it's a religion of works, if you do these things, 
God will do that. When you hear anything like that, um, you need to run away from that because God is the first cause of everything. We don't get to choose or pick or we can't live good enough. We can't have enough. We can't do right things enough. Anyway, um, so in the last few minutes here, we'll talk about church discipline. A session is responsible for church discipline of the local church. The leadership seeks the peace and purity of the church. One, for the glory of God. That is, when we discipline, we're not doing it out of hatred or hardness of heart or anything like that. We want to have, um, and ultimately, like I'm, and this is the last point over here, but ultimately, you know, the actions taken are in love of the offender with the desire, the offender to repent and be restored to the body of Christ. It's critical to see the peace and purity of the church at all times. <clears throat> so, peace, so purity of the church, and number three, keeping and reclaiming the disobedient sinner. That's, that's, those are three goals when we have to do discipline. It involves judicial action, rebuke of offenses, the removal of scandal, vindication of the honor of Christ, the promotion of purity and general edification of the church, and the spiritual good of the offenders. Proper disciplinary principles. And this really, you know, this is what, you know, how elders are supposed to conduct themselves. We have to instruct in the Word. It goes back to what you're talking about. We need to instruct people in the Word. What is the proper way, Matthew 18, to, if you get crosshairs with somebody? And you need to, everybody needs to be adults about, you know, if you got to, if somebody's upset or whatever, let's talk about it. Let's work it out. Matthew 18 tells you exactly how to do that. Um, it is an individual's responsibility to admonish one another. And I put the scriptures there. If someone is doing something wrong to you, it is your job, not my job as an elder, it is your job as a congregant to go to that person politely, nicely, peace of the church, and address that issue with them. Um, that's the first line of defense. We want to work it out at the lowest level possible, if you will. <clears throat> if that ad- admonishment is rejected, call one or more witnesses. I'm going through Matthew 18, if you haven't figured it out. Um, you go get one or two people, doesn't have to be elders, and go and talk to that person. If, if in case um, that rejection persists, the church must act through her court unto admonition, suspension, excommunication, or deposition. And that's where the session gets involved. If it gets to the point where you go and then you take a couple of people and it still ain't happening, then you got to come to the session. Um, and then the session t- starts business. Um, the church must follow this order for proper execution of church discipline. That's right out of the book of church order. That's how we would proceed. Um, and we would ask those questions. <clears throat> Let's say you came to the session and said, you know, I was offended by such and such. Well, have you done this? Have you done that? Have you done this? If you haven't followed those, we're going to send you back, and you're going to have to go do that. Now, some people don't like to talk to other people when it's a rough situation like that, but that's what we have to learn to do as Christians. Um, because it really is edifying to both, both parties in the end. Um, if an offense is private, it should remain private. Um, discretion is utmost. If somebody has done something or somebody is involved in something, it is not to be broadcasted. And again, this falls back to the leadership of the church. But if something happens in public, it will be adjudicated in public. So that's just, if it's something that's affecting the whole church, let's say it's a pastor issue that has affected the whole church and the whole church is aware of it, it will be adjudicated as such. <clears throat> the teaching elder must, and you heard Michael teach, and you know, he has taught from this pulpit. Um, instruct, he instructs officers in discipline. He needs to instruct the congregation in discipline. What that is, that's requirements. This is right out of the book of church order. And jointly practice it 
and uh, context of the congregation and church courts. So, definitions, I put those down here. An admonition, is, and it kind of goes in, uh, you know, rank, lower to higher. Uh, formal reproof, an offender by a church court, like a letter from the session, warning him or her of his guilt, danger of, you know, if he doesn't repent, danger of hell, and exhorting him to be more circumspect and watchful in the future. The next level, if that doesn't work, would be suspension, temporary exclusion from the ordinances. <clears throat> that would be communion. We can deny communion to anybody in the church if they're under church discipline. If we feel that the, the first part, if they get a letter and they still didn't do it, the next step would be remove them. We would not allow them to take communion in this church. We would fence them. And if it would take two elders standing aside by either of them to prevent it from happening, we would do that if it got to that point. So we have the authority to do that. We don't want to do that, but it is there. Um, <clears throat> again, this is, uh, an ind- can be indefinite as to its duration, depending on how long the person does not want to repent. <clears throat> then you have suspensions underneath that, and this is really for officers of the church. You can sp- suspend them from their office. It can be a definite suspension from office, or it can be an indefinite suspension from the office. It really goes along with what the session decides in the court, the fraction, infraction that was made, and what's going on there. Um, the next is excommunication. The excision of an offender from the communion of the church. In other words, removed from the church. He can no longer, or she can no longer come to this church. Um, she is shunned, he is shunned, um, and is to be, and that would, if someone is excommunicated, the congregation would know that and have, would have to accordingly, you know, do that. Um, and that's really for a gross crime or heresy. You know, a good example would be um, uh, Greg Johnson. If he gets excommunicated, it's time for him to go. Um, ultimately, again, and remember all this, even these are harsh and everything, while deposition is a degradation of an officer from his office, may not include censure. In other words, removing somebody ultimately from that office of elder, deacon, or pastor. Um, and I've seen all of it. I've seen each one of those things have happened, not necessarily in there. Some of it in this church. We've had a long, long time ago, we had an elder removed for actions, um, but we don't need to get on that, but the session will do what they need to do, long before anybody in this room had got here, so you don't have to worry about it. Um, ultimately, these actions are taken in love for the offender with the desire of the offender to repent and be restored to the body of Christ. It is critical for seeking that peace and purity in the church. So, um, again, kind of the last thing, you know, we don't like talking about discipline and things like that, but it's a necessary beast um, that we have to, any I'm going to close this in prayer because we're, we're behind and people are lining up. Heavenly Father, uh, we do come before you, Lord, and we do thank you for this day. I pray, Father, that you would help us to prepare ourselves to worship you, O holy God. Thank you for this time, and be with us um, as we worship you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.